be booping my way through a Mars mission. It's Vitra, please, a hateful voyage through the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. And I'm a former drawer, Borg drone that wanted nothing to do with this episode as well. Peter. Before we get into our Voyager offering of the week, Peter, may I indulge our greater Star Trek sensibilities by talking about Discovery? You call in Discovery Star Trek, huh? <laughs> Barely. Um, in a limited fashion. You know, I, I've i become so jaded with Kurtzman uh, stuff. I, I haven't even bothered with fucking season three yet. And, you know, I'm wishing death on the franchise at this point because of how bad uh, Picard touched my no-no zone. But I see that the House of Cards has finally fallen and that they're going to start pushing Discovery and Picard out directly through Netflix now in a desperate play to get eyeballs on the fucking thing. Yeah, it's their best franchise, and it obviously wasn't... CBS All Access wasn't a success. I'm not yet convinced it'll be on Netflix. We'll see if that... That, that rumor becomes reality, but I'm not surprised to hear it hasn't been good enough to make their own streaming service good. And, and there's also CBS's All Access is turning into Paramount. Peacock, uh, right? No. No, Peacock is NBC. It's like a Paramount that's going to try. They're going to try and combine more like movie stuff and that sort of thing into it. Whatever. doesn't matter. Streaming bullshit is bullshit. I have not watched any of Discovery Season 3, but we have a a fan of the show that I am friends with that uh, has kept me informed because he put himself out there to say, I'm going to watch Discovery Season 3 because I just have to, and I'll let you know how it is. And what he said to me was, if this was the first season of the show and it had this feel, it would probably be okay. But because it's not, it's terrible. However... It probably has the most Star Trek moments in it. And to prove his point, he sent me a couple clips of the show that touched on specific things that you and I have talked about, believe it or not. The first is that, you know, in season three of Discovery, they're in the future, future, future. They're in like the 31st century, 32nd century, the 3100, 32nd century. What was um, Living Witness? Uh, that would have been the 2900s. So this is post-Living Witness. Yes. They're in the future, future, future. And they actually have dialogue that suggests there are Federation starships that are entirely made of holograms. So this is something you've mentioned, yeah. that why isn't there a ship full of holograms? They literally say, oh, this is a ship that has nothing but holograms on it. <laughs> Like, is a crew made of holograms? You know, interestingly enough for you to bring that up in this um, in this episode, like that's the one interesting part of dialogue Janeway throws out in today's episode, which is, you know, if if all that <clears throat> Starfleet cared about was collecting data, they'd make a fleet of probes. Instead, they've made starships. And that really put a lot of stuff into perspective. But um, but go on. There was another uh, scene there's a couple scenes where so the actor playing this role was actually the director David Cronenberg as a, as in the David Cronenberg from like the fly he's an actor on discovery I don't know why uh, but he's that. perfect because he's a creepy old guy 
And he has a dialogue with Culber where he explains some problems that are happening to Giorgio. So in the show, obviously, the version of Giorgio that is on the show is from the Mirror Universe. And what's happening to her, she's having like all these like psychological issues and her molecules are breaking down. And this character explains, oh, so what we learned from the fact that there was all of this temporal war in the 29th century, which is direct reference to to relativity and the temporal cord war in Enterprise, which is good job, was that the reason why people get sick when they travel through time and why time travel on an individual basis is limited is that your molecules want to exist in the time period in which they were created. That there is a temporal element to matter and your in, in it, whether it is inanimate or animate matter, it wants to be where it's supposed to be from. Now, if you're simply traveling through time, that can be managed. It can make you sick, but you can survive. However, if you travel both through time and dimensions, you're going to fucking die. And to explain that, they they bring into canon an explanation of a character that traveled from the J.J. Abrams universe into the Prime universe and then through time. And what happened is his molecules were so desperate to either return to either his dimension or original time frame that he eventually just degraded into nothingness. That was such good canon for why time travel has inherent uh, limitations that I was like, wow, what someone cared enough to put to build all of this up into a framework narratively that actually worked. I don't know, man. That sounds like a bunch of metachlorium bullshit to me. They can they can keep it. Really? I thought that was neat. Like you finally provided a techno babble explanation that I can buy that says the reason why these limitations that we have seen in prior shows exist is that there is a time dimension to matter that we have only now really begun to understand. Like sometimes okay, there's repercussions for time travel. Most of the time there's not like Voyager specifically has made time travel about as uh, common as like landing the ship on a fucking planet. I think they've actually done more time travel than they have like uh landing the ship, planet <laughs> land, which let that sink in. Okay. You got a spaceship with fucking landing wheels built in and you're doing more time traveling to landing down on planet surfaces. So what? Whatever. <laughs> well, that that is my only defense of of uh, Discovery. Uh, it is still has the same problems that the show always had, which is their main the main character is obnoxious. The writing is kind of amateurish. And while they're doing more Trek things now on the show, it's done at such a low quality that it's like not good enough. So don't worry. That's the last good thing I'll ever say about Maybe it. Maybe I'll bother to watch it when it comes out on Netflix. It's not even worth the effort to pirate it at this point. But speaking of things not worth the effort to pirate, what did well, we watch on. this week? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I couldn't let that one go. That was such a perfect transition point. That was a tasty one. That was a good one. That's a keeper. Um, did you check out uh, Lower Decks yet? I have started to season the, the first episode was really hard to get Super through. Hard. Yeah, Mariner first two, maybe three episodes is just like you, you want to just hang yourself from a fucking some YouTubers rap. I really trust did 
really, you know, say what you said, which is the show improves dramatically over time. But Exponentially. Man, yeah. Man, that was really tough. When first you one set to go the through. bar low enough, okay, it's it's not hard to 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 get that exponential growth. Which is not shown at all in season six, episode eight, one small step. That was good. By the way, that was a good transition on your part. I just want to game recognize game. (laughs) I I've realized something at the end of this episode that this isn't season six of Voyager. This is season sucks. (laughs) Season six sucks. It's season sucks. What the fuck is going on? I'm, I'm listening to whatever the last podcast we had go up where you reaffirm the statement that the golden episodes are behind us and that there's really nothing to look forward to. And I'm more and more afraid that you are completely right, because this is just milk toast bullshit episode after episode, man. I don't want to say that there's nothing to look forward to for the rest of the run. Uh, there are some episodes in, in season seven that are are good and a couple season six ones that are decent but nothing that reaches the heights when i said that before it was that nothing reaches the heights that we have seen like nothing reaches timeless right like timeless is the high watermark of the show whatever right like you know every show has a high watermark not everything is tng that ends literally on the highest possible note right like that is actually quite rare for a show to accomplish their last episode being potentially one of their best ones yeah so i can forgive that but and i knew that already but i guess i just completely forgot how mediocre to bad these later seasons ended up being and maybe it's because of how we're watching the show like i didn't when i watched it before i wasn't trying to critically analyze it i wasn't looking at it from perspective of of how it was in early seasons for the late seasons. I was just kind of trying to watch it and enjoy it. Maybe that allowed me to overlook some of these things, but uh, it's coming to stark relief when you have to sit down and talk about it for an hour with someone else. Again, like, yeah, there's some like straight fire episodes, timeless uh, year of hell, stuff like that. Right. Right. But I, I'm not even I'm not even looking at those like season four, season five. There's just a lot of good, cool shit in there. That is is thought provoking and good Trek and good sci fi and and fun stories and interesting character growth. And these it's just waste of time, garbage over and over and over again. And this this is another entry into that. We start off the whole cold open is uh, a flashback to I forget what the timestamp is, but, you know, if you look at the fucking dumpster fire, that is the pre TOS timeline, right? Maybe there's the the beginning of uh, interstellar exploration. Maybe it's a drug fueled genocide, nuclear holocaust like maybe well, let's let's terminate Let's. Let's talk about that for a second. So we were unkind. The Star Trek timeline continuity a couple episodes ago, and maybe that's a little undeserved because we do have to respect that the show started in the 1960s. When the show starts in the 1960s, 
and they're talking about things that happened in the far future of 1998, <laughs> right? How would and they have then, known Sarah Silverman existed, right? You got to cut up right, <laughs> exactly. And then you have a sh- it. It starts up again and starts talking about things that happened in the far future of you know 2010, you know, in 1985. Okay, so some things about the continuity of Star Trek are always going to be fundamentally broken by the fact that in real time, time is continuing to go on and terrible things are not actually happening. We didn't have a eugenics war. We haven't had a World War Three. fingers crossed. So, you know, the, the timeline of events ends up having the incongruities in it that are ultimately somewhat unresolvable right eventually within our lifetimes peter we're going to get to first contact day right Mm -hmm. and there hopefully will not be a new nuked out wasteland of an earth at that point well what i'm saying is that they need to retcon this thing and and you know put world war three like maybe change the scope of it and just reframe it as uh you know instead of thermonuclear warfare it's fighting to get a pack of toilet paper at Costco. I I am willing to sort of buy into the idea that World War Three and from a historical perspective might include this huge swath of time from the early, you know, two thousands to the mid two thousands when in reality it was more of a maybe of a Cold War until just the very end and then became a nuclear holocaust. The bigger psychological break to make is that Star Trek is no longer a theoretical future of our own, but instead an entirely fictional construct where past events that never occurred occurred in Trek. And I'm comfortable with that leap. But by the when the time that they were writing this, they hadn't quite gotten there. So something happening in a theoretical 2032, which has alternatively been a nuclear holocaust post nuclear horror, you know, a cannibal atrocious, uh, Mad Max future <laughs> in TNG, but is apparently completely normal in Voyager. It just doesn't, doesn't work. I'm not going to hold that against this episode. That is not the biggest problem with this episode. In fact, everything that happens in the quote unquote past is probably the best part of this episode. I don't disagree with that. Now, what is not good is the Russian guy, the quote unquote Russian guy's accent. Oh, so bad. (laughs) Probably the worst Russian accent I think I've ever heard. So so you got this guy, Lieutenant John Kerry or something. I don't know. John Uh, Kelly. John Kelly. And he's up in a uh, orbital command module. There's two other astronauts down on Mars surfaces. It's the Ares mission, which while whatever is happening on Earth, whether it's mutant cannibal nuclear warfare or what was the other thing where we pointed out like oh it was uh Janeway's mom getting old and happy after making in Indiana where there's nukes right speak of the devil 1159 it's a cold winter hellscape outside right now like I really feel yeah it's looking very 11590 in (laughs) Ohio right now (laughs) not gonna lie yeah it's time to throw in some references to to the ancient Greek classical mythology. That's a that's an eleven fifty nine joke, and if that did not, if 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 that didn't, the only eleven fifty nine joke is how much uh, 
you know, Janeway's ancestor wanted to to fuck that kid. <laughs> right. The only 100%, one, the only 100% one. the Janeway male ancestor was not the old man. It was the young boy. Yeah. The only 1159 joke that matters is uh, that you and I wasted an hour of our life watching that fucking thing. Um, <laughs> that's that's a real knee slapper. Hey, you know what? This episode better than 1159. Going to call it right now. Sad but true. The the whole cold open almost kind of felt to me like a warm up for Enterprise. It was a good looking set. It's simple, you know, that NASA utilitarian Spartan, um, uh, you know, pre light speed uh, aesthetic, uh, very grounded, very real. And again, I haven't watched Enterprise or anything, but I what you would call near future. Yeah, right. It did almost feel like it was a warm up or that maybe this prompted someone over there to say, hey. What if we backed off the the far future and kind of did something a little bit like this? Like, did did you get that at all? I'm I'm biased by the fact that Enterprise did does end up sharing some design um, similarities with the set that they built for this episode. Uh, that was a a distinct choice on the part of of Berman and you know the the Trek people was. When they made Enterprise, that they're like, okay, so this is going to be a prequel. It's going to be early space, space exploration. We have to make the sh- the ship feel more utilitarian and submarine like, you know, cramped, uh, more analog, you know, more feels early, and uh, that happens to be the design aesthetic they went with here as well. So that does share a similarity, I th- though I think it was somewhat coincidental. The guy up in space and his dudes, including the terrible Russian accent down on Mars, and then his uh, sensor starts going nuts and he looks out the window and there's like a giant fireball flying towards him. And he's like, oh, shit, here we go. And uh, he kind of goes down with the ship, sets everything to record and then is never heard from again. Cut to credits. So the premise of this episode is very confused. Is this episode about Seven of Nine having yet more character development about understanding her crewmates? Or is it about how Chakotay is the worst person ever? I'm not sure. It's really both from this point forward. Of the two plot lines that are competing here, Chakotay being the worst is the most conspicuous. And the most interesting. Because <laughs> everything you get out of seven of nine in this episode feels like you're watching a corporate sponsored after school TV special about like, I I don't know, like, Hey, here's this product we're trying to show for. And uh, everybody's going to think it's great, but for everybody to tell you how great Microsoft windows is uh, seven of nine has to be a real stick in the mud and, you know, want to stick to DOS. So she's <laughs> DOS is great. Uh, you know, Windows UI, graphical UI and mouse control is irrelevant. And then James be like, no, Seven, you see, it's great. You can set your background wallpaper. And then Harry's going to be like, no, Seven, it's really cool because there's there's sound and pictures. And then Tom's like, no, Seven, it's great because you could get on AOL and browse the Internet. And then Seven, by the end, you can play free ski on this. Yeah. And then by the end, Seven and Nine's like, you're right. DOS sucks. 
Windows is good. I've changed my mind. And then look at the camera and give like a big thumbs up. Like that's that's basically this. Like she is this vehicle for the audience to go through a journey that nobody gives two shits about. And I think that's I think you are correct. And it's also sad that you're correct because the idea that the episode is trying to convey is to explain why it is that people on Voyager, why Starfleet officers are excited that the prospect of discovery and exploration and uncovering information and right? dying in the process like that's yeah, like that. That was the intention. The intention is to explain why these nutcases are out here in space <laughs> to begin with and why they're like mostly OK with the fact they're stranded in the fucking Delta Quadrant and trying to get home. Right. Like, why are these why are these people like this? And the episode is trying to explain that in a, in a in, in no small portion. It is trying to say, yeah, guess what? All of these crazy motherfuckers could be sitting in their hollow suites back on their planet, uh, enjoying literally the easiest life possibly imaginable to our mortal minds. But they have instead chosen to hang their asses out on some you know, rickety titanium space bucket and go sniff around in shit man was never meant to see because they think it's cool. And that's the, the sense of discovery and exploration and knowing and uncovering truth is important to them. And when you consider the idea of how large the Federation is in terms of its actual population versus how large Starfleet is. We, we've touched on this before, but like the Federation is probably uh, tens of billions, maybe hundreds of billions of, of sentience of, you know, of people of member citizens. And there's maybe only a few hundred thousand total actually in Starfleet, maybe like maybe a million so it's a tiny, tiny fraction of a percentage of Federation citizens that choose to sign up to go join Starfleet. So these motherfuckers need to be crazy about what they do to be willing to do it and give up a life of complete luxury to do so. Continuing on the track of talking about everything except for this episode, I think it's only like 20... 2018, 2019, 2020 cynicism uh, that allows us to look at stuff like Next Gen or Original Series or any of the Berman stuff and and point these things out, right? Like, ask the deeper questions. We've We've got our Game of Thrones mindset where we are part of this golden age of television that gets really real and, and goes to that next layer of motivation. Why, why are the people doing this? And it, for them to answer the question of like, why encounter these dangers? Why not live in the lap of luxury in a post-scarcity society? This is like such an odd way to present the answer to that question, where the simple question, answer, the good answer should have just been like, Earth sucks. It's too easy. Like, you get bored you get goofy in the head and everybody in Starfleet, we're not, it doesn't need to be like, Oh gosh. Um, you know, I, it, it's, it's the thrill and I've got hero worship of some astronaut who died in space 300 years ago or whatever. It's just like, you, I felt a need to do something greater and 
And yes, you life on Earth is perfect, but it's boring. And the dangers of space have become addictive. And this this is what I signed up for. But, you know, that's that's two twenty twenty for them to have said. I think you're zeroing in on it. This is the 1999 way of conveying that sentiment. If they had to redo this episode in 22, redo the sentiment in 2020, they'd probably be far more explicit. I think – and, and this is why I, I hold a little bit of respect for the episode is that the overall idea of here – these Starfleet people are super into exploring and this is Seven of Nine who is foreign to that idea confronting the fact that everyone on the ship feels this way. That's why they're fucking here in the first place, right? Like the the – Maquis people are aside, like the actual Starfleet officers, which it, it focuses on, are like, yeah, we're super into this. Like, this is our shit. And it makes sense. Why the fuck else would they be out there? The realist I, I, moment for me accomplishing that is Tuvok's admission that, yeah, I admit that this is crazy and kind of illogical, but at the same time, I'm a Starfleet officer. And if I held true to the the fact you just said, I wouldn't be here in the first place. Right. That's that's probably the best scene for illustrating the idea that even Tuvok is into it because ultimately, yeah, I wouldn't be part of this organization if I wasn't in this into this shit. Like the uh, bottom line. And speaking to the Maquis, which you've mentioned, I'd say anything you could say about Starfleet stupidity in the face of danger goes double for the Maquis. Because yeah, terrorism in the face of completely unneeded terrorism. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, yeah, you know, yes, we are willing to needlessly threaten our lives for any for a cause, any cause or a situation. We're already so bored with the good life that we're willing to go fucking fight space fascist Cardassians on the the outer edge of Federation space. So sure, whatever you want to go fly around a fucking fireball trash can and see what, you know, garbage picking we can do. All right. Sign me up. So we're shortcutting some of the specific plot points in our discussion of how we're handling this because these specific plot points were already handled so uh, gracefully by your DOS v. Windows advertisement analogy. It's really a sequence of scenes where the characters are trying to convince Seven of Nine why exploration is cool and where the where the episode fails – is that Seven of Nine decides that exploration is cool for no reason, right? There is no actual narrative cause given to the ultimate evolution of Seven of Nine in this episode to suddenly go from, all of you are dumb, this is stupid, it's going to get us killed. In fact, the exact opposite occurs, right? Every reason Seven of Nine would have to be skeptical of these things occurs like as far as like the danger outweighing the utility but yet at the end the real girl becomes slightly more starfleety and real as is required by the plot but they don't actually explain why they don't provide a reason why it doesn't make any sense she's moved emotionally by uh the lieutenant's final log entry which i'll give this guy credit for you know his his monologuing Oh, yeah. The the past guy, John Kelly, he's fucking great. All of that is fantastic. So so here's the broad strokes uh, of what happens this episode. Uh, this subspace fireball anomaly pops up. It almost kills Voyager. 
Uh, Seven's like, oh, here's some Borg box text about this. And then Janeway's like, yes, I want to follow this uh, side quest. And they go in and they decide that they can send the Delta Flyer in with some shield enhancements and go inside and see, you know, what the flea market in there looks like. And uh, they already know that there's going to be this old NASA space shuttle in there, which Chakotay and Tom are like super fanboys of. To the episode's credit, in a very, very rare showing for Season Sucks, uh, Tom remembers the fact that he's like super Super into Mars. Mars. (laughs) He's memorized all the trading cards, right? You'll remember fucking 1159 when Tom is able to like on the fly rattle off every single person who was involved with uh, every single Mars mission and say, no, Janeway, your great grandma wasn't involved in any of this. You're a liar. <laughs> a fraud. <laughs> but now also Chakotay has subscribed to that fanboy newsletter. So uh, him and Chakotay and Seven of Nine fly in the Delta Flyer into this thing. And then they find the NASA thing. They're going to tractor beam it out. And uh, Janeway's like, just leave it alone because something bad's going to happen. You need to go now. And like Chakotay loses his goddamn mind. Yeah, Chicote is the fucking worst in this episode, which is sad because you and I have become fans of Chicote's characterization. Really big fans. And this episode does us such a disservice to him by making him seem obsessive and almost childish in his desire to preserve this uh this the Ares cockpit to the point where he makes irrational decisions almost gets everyone killed and then acts like kind of a bitch about it when seven of nine rightfully takes him task for it. Like the best exchange in the episode is seven, you know, after they try to pull the, the, the probe out and it goes wrong and Chakotay gets hit by space lightning and is, is hurt, you know, wakes up in the seven in the, uh, the, the back room of the Delta flyer. Like I am hurt and seven of nine is yes. Allow me to explain all of the stupid things you did that led us down this path and how you, you specifically are personally responsible for the circumstance and no one else, which is correct. Which is un- like there. This is not somehow seven of nine being in like a bitch about it. Like she's just actually being like, no, you're at fault. You're the reason we're all on the verge of death. Fuck you. And he's like, well, you know, now don't give me attitude about it. Like, no, fuck you. You deserve to get attitude about it, Chakotay. Like, you, we're only here because you wanted to drag a space trash along with you because you thought it was neat. Yeah. Pretty much. So uh, they get stuck inside the fireball and then uh, they're going to have to go onto the lunar vehicle. I'm sorry, the Mars mission command module, because uh, Torres is like, hey, you can take their old vacuum tube circuit breakers and install it. And it's going to work in the Delta flyer now because of whatever. But Tom, you got to stay on the shuttle because even though you're a big fanboy about this stuff and Chakotay, you're laid up sick because you got shot with the space lightning. But OK, seven, I guess you're going to have to go over there and come to terms with just how great Microsoft Windows is and why you need to finally upgrade off of uh, DOS. And then she goes and by the end, she's like, oh, my gosh, you're right. Windows is so easy to use. 
I'm so glad I did it. Turn the camera. Thumbs up. <laughs> so while she's over there. <laughs> just, okay. Go on. I wish I had a better analogy than Windows. I don't know why my brain's blanking. I don't know. Coke, new Coke. It I, works. I, it works. It's it's good. You don't have to. Ex- you don't have to explain. It's fine. She's like, no, regular disc brakes are great. And they're like, no, Seven, you need to get on board with this anti-lock braking system. Um, she's over there. She turns on this guy's logs and hears about what a swell guy and a great explorer. And she just gets energized by his uh, by his his adventurous nature. And I don't know. Um, the surprise for me in this episode was that this guy was actually dead. You don't really get a clear view, but you see his hand draped over an armrest and it's all like uh, mummified. My expectation was that as this fireball subspace anomaly moves through these rifts, it was moving through space and time and that, you know, time hasn't passed for anything in there. And Voyager was going to connect with an ancient Earth astronaut and he was going to marvel at Voyager's technical doodads and this and that before ultimately deciding to go home or, you know, God forbid, join the crew and something interesting happened there. But no, this Man, dude, they'll just they'll just send them off to the same planet. They put Amelia Earhart on. You know, <laughs> obviously, again, I think Voyager would have been such a better story had they grown the crew with people they met along the way beyond just seven and nine. I mean, seven uh, Amelia Earhart being a part of the crew would have been silly. That'd be an R and U vote there, but uh, this guy, you know, I could buy. Sure, whatever. <laughs> right, some rando, right? Right, I get it. He's not a named historical figure. It's fine. He could have been like, like, hey, you know what? Listen, buddy, uh, this ain't NASA. It's Starfleet now. You're gonna go through Tuvox cargo bay boot camp <laughs> with the rest of the Maquis to learn that space friendship is magical. And then you're going to get assigned to the same duty station as the Alpha Vampire from Equinox, never to be seen from again. That's all. Just collect them all. The interesting part of this episode for me was that uh, this is Robert Picardo directing. Yeah, his second episode. His first one was the uh, episode where it's a uh, Tuvok Celio girl, you know, the Polynesian uh, feel my leg, bro. That's the one where he got himself to kiss. Yeah, he wrote the he wrote in in a scene where he got to make out with some uh, hot Polynesian ladies. Yeah. Oh, that's the lizard catfishing episode, right? Correct. Yeah. That one was a okay episode, I think. This one they did they did Bobby Picardo dirty on this. Yeah, he has one scene where he just tries to emphasize the same like exploration is cool. Even I, a a computer program, thinks exploration is cool. So why don't you, Seven of Nine, also use Windows? Yeah. (laughs) You know, there's not really a lot to talk about. The stakes feel very low the entire episode. You know, goddamn well, no one's dying. You know, nothing of real consequence is going to happen here. And it's just this. I don't want to say virtue signaling, but it's just this preachy episode about exploration and adventure that's handled in all the wrong ways. Um, by the end, uh, not only has Seven of Nine downloaded all of the mission logs onto her tricorder after she steals the vintage space part, they need to make the Delta Flyer work. But before she transports out, she takes the com badge off of her and she puts it on the corpse's arm right above his NASA mission 
command patch. And I was like, that's cool. You know, like she's leaving this time capsule and she's like acknowledging like, hey, buddy, you know, we're we're bound in spirit and you deserve this just as much as anybody else does. But she's not giving him a com badge to keep as like a badge of remembrance or whatever. No, sir. No, they're they're stealing his body off of the command module, beaming it back over to the Delta Flyer and bringing it back to Voyager, at which point I'm just kind of like, please tell me she's going to use Borg nanoprobes to like (laughs) between her and the doctor resurrect this dude from like being super dead. But no, it's crazier than that, Joe. It's a funeral. And where else would you have a funeral other than the motherfucking bridge? Uh, With one of uh, the apparently many extra torpedo tubes that uh, Voyager has available to them, you know, because of the fact they looted uh, the all the loot boxes that uh, uh, the Equinox hit because they got all the torpedoes in the entire Delta Quadrant. So we got extras, got extras laying around, just shoot an old corpse back into space and have this big unearned emotional funeral scene about. That's the other thing that bothers me about the episode is the unearned emotion of everyone having like a connection to this guy. I get that they're trying to convey like what if some key historical figure from our own past, there was this unknown history and how that would change everything. Like what if Neil Armstrong like – went and had a space pipe fight with a communist on the moon, <laughs> right? Like, and we never knew about it, right? Like it was pipes at dawn to see who would win this, the, the cold war. It was the un, the untold history of America, you know, and that would be a huge deal if it was, it came to light, but because there's never been any buildup about this, this is something they invented for the episode. It feels so completely unearned. Like, why are we having this big funeral scene for this character that, yeah, he's kind of cool in the five minutes we saw him of these, these log entries, but like, is it really worth all of this pageantry? I'm not seeing it. I'm not feeling it. Like if any bad guy were to roll around and be like, Oh shit, there's Voyager. We got beef with him. Like, Oh, Say the uh, car that the Klingassians from uh, what was it two episodes ago at this point? No, one episode, right? Dragon Kling- Teeth, the Klingassians, yeah, you know, the the space Nazis they woke up out of cry. Oh, yeah, 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 the accident, yes, the accidental space Nazis. The 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 gang, the gang had their uh, always sunny in Philadelphia episode, yeah. yeah. Like if they were to be like, oh, shit, there's Voyager. Let's go fight him. And then Janeway standing there in her dress uniform with this uh, photon torpedo full of dead guy where her chair should be. And they're like, oh, shit, we got our pants completely down. Maybe we shouldn't have done this on the bridge. Um, and OK, yeah, you you were this Earth hero and then you ended up in uh, space fireball. And now we're going to lay it to rest just shooting you out into the Delta Quadrant like. Anything would have made more sense than what ends up happening at the end here. But it's it's a hard episode to talk about. It doesn't feel like anything with real substance happens in it. Seven of nine feels like a cardboard cutout again for some sort of corporate training video about, you know, the the new way to do something versus the old way. I don't know, man. This thing was just an eye roll fest for me. Yeah, it was ultimately just an episode without a lot of purpose. And 
that did no favors for the characterization of anybody and in fact worked dramatically against the characterization of of Chicote in a large way of just making him seem irresponsible. Yeah. Like pet, and irresponsible in a petty way. Like not at all. It's not like there was someone's life was on the line or was like a moral choice. Like you can see Chicote defying orders and endangering his his away team to save the life of some local yokel or preserve life or do something that kind of fits his pacifistic tendencies, right? Like buy into that at this point, a hundred percent. But this is literally, there is a piece of, of space history and I want to preserve it. And I'm going to endanger the life of uh, the pilot of Voyager, the smartest person in the universe, myself and our best shuttlecraft to retrieve it. He's acting like a drug addict. Kind of, yeah. That's actually a good way of putting it. Like, it's not that this shit, this this piece of history has like some critical MacGuffin that will help Voyager or will get them home. There's no stakes here that suggest why it's necessary. It's just his pride in being a historian, anthropologist, archaeologist, you know, history guy that he wants to preserve it, and it's just a huge step too far from acceptable behavior given the circumstances such that it makes Chicote seem irresponsible in command and completely in the wrong in the choices he makes. And then because of that makes seven of nine sudden thumbs up to camera, like windows now later on just seems stupid. Like if anything, her belief structure that this was all a waste of fucking time should have been completely confronted. Like she should have had a dialogue with, with Naomi Wildman. She's walking down the hallway. Like, and that's how I learned the exploration's dumb. Naomi, don't you agree? Yes, I do. All right. Then I said, I told you so. And I was right. And Chakotay almost died with his stupid tattoo. What 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 is there else to really say about this thing? I feel bad that they dropped this in Robert Picardo's lap. I don't really feel like there's any standout directorial choices that he made to to focus in on. Um, it was just it was a dud. It was another season sucks dud, and I'm getting tired of seeing these things, man. It's it's not a good time. Uh, I I do I do want to wind things back for a second. What you're saying about Jacote. It's interesting in Voyager how almost all of these characters have that in case of glass or in case of emergency break glass. And that's where they're crazy is. That's where they're dangerous, suicidal slash homicidal tendencies can live. Um, and that any of these characters that they've laid out, you you can see the situations where they can go off the rails and it feels just not justify, but it feels established and you can go along on that ride. Certainly Chicote or really any of the Maquis characters, but yeah, this, this is just the wrong way to use it on Chicote, and he just comes off looking crazy. So there's nothing else that needs to be said. He, he comes off looking crazy. It's a poorly written episode and that's it. That's the story. It's, Season sucks, as you put it. We're at 45 minutes. I don't think I am not compelled to talk about this episode any further. No, I'm going to close this um, out, man. Season sucks. Episode nine coming up. The Voyager conspiracy. And we see. 
We see everybody hanging out down in engineering. They must be doing a punch and pie night down there. When seven of nine upgrades her Borg alcove to assimilate mass amounts of data. That sounds like a really bad idea. That doesn't sound like <laughs> we don't we don't need bigger Borg alcoves. OK, that that's a mistake. We don't need we don't need the Dr. Daydreaming or editing his own cove. And we sure as fuck don't need more of the ship getting assimilated to uh, assimilate mass amounts of data. It leads to allegations of a conspiracy aboard Voyager. That sounds cool. This episode is actually pretty good. It's not saying much to say it's better than probably everything that we've watched this season, <laughs> but I, I'm confident in saying that uh, we'll, we'll walk away from this one with a lot more to talk about and a lot more uh, to enjoy. Well, it's about time. Probably this may be our shortest episode ever, Peter. 40, 46 minutes. We talked more about a logium. God. <laughs> <laughs> like, but uh, I mean, it's just. So we're not counting that... the, the one we didn't actually review then. Yeah, because that's true. We did talk less about an episode. We didn't end up actually talking about, I guess you can say. I want to say whatever. This one, this fucking episode should have been four minutes. I'm sorry to anybody who uh, made the mistake of listening to this podcast for this episode. <laughs> it's well, not no, it, it's I, I think it's worth putting it all in perspective. Like the whole point of doing this show was you and me going through Voyager and thinking about Voyager in context of where it stood at the time in the late 90s, where it's, you know, it stands in terms of overall Trek. What's how does the show compare to the other Berman era Trek shows? Where is its place in the fandom? These are questions that you and I wanted to tackle by doing the show. And I think it's quite illustrative that we were into what you would call the creative heart of the show. And we're just coming up short. We're coming up short in ways that a show should never be coming up short in its sixth season. We're and again, episodes me... deep into this fucking season, and it's just not enjoyable. And if we weren't on the hook to review the, each of these things, we would stop. It's full stop, right? Like, I wouldn't continue to watch the show if it was at this point otherwise. Yeah. And I think that tells us a story. It tells us a story of why Voyager is the unloved, you know, stepsister of the Star Trek canon. That is where we started. Like, why is Voyager like this? It went on for seven seasons. It was a network anchor. What happened to this show that it was on for so long, but remains unloved in a kind of unique way. And this is, I think why is that it just gets into this ruts of underdeveloped, underbaked ideas, poorly executed episodes, lack of, of adherence to its own continuity and winds up just, kind of sucking ass in a way that isn't offensive in the way like maybe Picard was right. But is still just like, God, like it's frustrating. It's just a frustrating experience. Agreed, man. All right. Well, uh, let's look forward to void your conspiracy next week. <laughs> All right. And until then, Thank you for listening to Vija, please. Hateful Voyager, the Delta Quadrant, a show title that is earning its keep the last few weeks. And we'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>